And we're live. Hello. Hello. And of course, look who we have. This is Lulu's first time making a public appearance since she had to be shorn in a way that that is just very unbecoming. And her ears are not really she's not looking her best. So she's she's going to have to wait a while to grow her fur back. But there was a matting situation. Lulu had a great summer. Let me let me say that. But she got into some stuff. And anyway, so there was a shearing and it's just sort of pitiful. That's the I ears. mean, look at her ears are so crooked. This is why she wasn't, you know what, when we bought her, like she wasn't considered a great specimen, which is why they didn't want to breed her. So, and now I'm kind of seeing it, you know, it's like, it'd be like the equivalent when you shave your head and you realize your head is very sadly misshapen. You well, know what I mean? Like, it's just sort of like, yeah, yeah. For, hopefully her, her. I used to shave my head when I was younger, a lot younger. But I, I grew out of that, I guess. But so she kind of looks like Piglet. <laughs> just, yeah, you know, oh, I didn't I even know. think about that. And like, like I'll be carrying monster. her. And now, you know, she expects to be carried up and down the stairs because of her accident. So, yeah, she's kind of crazy. The poor, the poor little lady. And of course, that goes without saying. We are very happy uh, to have some wonderful guests coming on tonight. Uh, there's been a lot of things in the news that are important to talk about. First and foremost, we are very pleased to welcome this evening a... Not only an awesome candidate, but an awesome friend who has run for local office before. Uh, you know, we talk constantly about the importance of electing local representatives that are not bought and paid for by the political machine. Obviously, that goes without saying that the non-corporate, uh, non-partisan positions are also immensely important, maybe the most important of all, when it comes to things like city commission, county commission, mayor, and of course, school board. And so without further ado, we're very pleased to welcome somebody who is running for Broward County's fifth seat on the school board. Do you get to pick that? Is that in your, like, that's you, I think, yeah, because yeah. I don't, but I think the cutoff is Knob Hill. We're going to find out. Well, she got my vote once. She'll get it yes, twice. Yes, I did. I did vote for her when it was countywide, but I don't think I can. Well, no, she's I not in my, five. it's not mine because I'm pretty as sure. As I'm living at that residence. Well, no, mine, I'm sure is Stephen Julian and that's not her race. Ruth Carter Lynch, welcome to Generational Change. Hi, my buddies. How are you? Hi, Ruth. How are you doing? I, you know me, I'm always phenomenal. I, life is good. I can't complain. Every time I wake up above ground, I'm, I'm wonderful. So I just want to right away ask you, because obviously the last time in the last election, you were running for supervisor of elections, um, mm -hmm. which I also preferred you and found you to be infinitely more capable and qualified. But I digress. And now you're you're running for school board. And even though they're countywide, they're really different, you know. And, and so why don't you talk a little bit about that, because your focus when you're when you're talking about here's what I would do for the SOE's office is kind of a different Thing than what you're doing when you're on the school board. So it, it is kind of a different type. It's not operational as much. So talk a little bit about that because you're definitely somebody we want involved county level. Let, let me just say this. Uh, you're right. It's absolutely different. Uh, the, the only difference with the school board, so here's a misnomer with people. You know, even though we're district, we still vote on everything in the county. We vote on everything. Everything gets a vote. And uh, in actuality, if you really think about it, the, we each district has three board members. And I say that because you have your district person and you have two at large. And we need to really, really 
hone in on that because we put a lot of pressure on just one person to be that one, one and only voice for an entire district. When in actuality, we all, all school board members should, should be concerned about the entire district. Right. Now, I understand that it's, it's a large, it's a huge county. Trust me, I, I ran countywide yeah. twice. So, you know, I know it's a huge yeah. county. But you need as many people as possible advocating for what's right. And unfortunately, the reason for, well, my community asked me to run for the school board, believe it or not. No, um, I believe that. It was not something that, even though education is my drug of choice, trust me when I tell you that, I, I love, love, love learning and reading and education because it, I think it's the only thing that can be an equalizer for everybody across the board when it comes to our children. And right now we have to uh, educate our children in a manner in a, from a global perspective. No longer can we just worry about what's happening in the United States because they have to compete worldwide. And that's 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 one issue that I think that I'm very, very well versed in and understand to the point where I know that we need to really change our focus and be more concerned with student achievement. And I and, and on this circuit, I've been saying from day one. You know, we, my job as a, I'm a board governance trainer, by the way, I train people to sit on boards. And what that means is the board main jobs job is one to supervise the superintendent. She or he is like the CEO of a major corporation. They, she's responsible for the day-to-day operations of that organization. My job is to make sure she does it right. I'm not to mess in the day-to-day. Right. We set we, but the board does set the curriculum, which is dictated by the state statutes. But we also are responsible, major responsibility to be to be fiduciary uh stewards, good fiduciary stewards of the tax dollar. And I have been saying from day one, it just boggles my mind the waste that I see going on in traditional education. The bureaucracy is absolutely amazing. It takes 900 years to get something done. Yeah. Let's talk about one minute. For instance, let me give you a real good example of what I mean by fiscal mismanagement. The $800 million bond issue. Yep. First of all, when we went out for it, 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 they didn't go out for it for enough money. We should have, they should have gone out for 1.5 billion versus 8 million. The problem with it, and it, it didn't take a rocket scientist, if you know, I'm a 30 year corporate veteran. So I come from a school of thought that uh, if you're gonna do, look at a bid, it needs to be bid, it needs to be done properly. And the school board members should have done their assessments of what the market is for what the market is before they actually accepted what staff said about what the cost of this bond would to, right. to do the things that was necessary. Well, when somebody would bring me now, it's, this is 2014. 
a $6 and 50 cent a square feet for, let me just talk construction for instance. When I know the market is dictating $15, why would I accept that? That's twice, almost three times more than what really it is. So I would question that and I probably would have said no. But on the flip side of that, I voted for it because I saw the need, especially the need in your underserved communities. You know, I'm running for District 5. District 5 has been underserved for the last 30 years. At least. So I want to let me ask you this, because to me, this is a role, I think, where what's most important, I, I do like that you sort of highlighted what this job really is. Because I think people just think, oh, school board, you make the rules. You don't like, not really. That's not really their job. Like, so I don't think, I like that you definitely understand like the organizational nature of this. Um, but it's like that, that legislation, that stuff, that's not good. That's not good. Florida is like 48th in education. Broward pays less to its teachers than both Dade and Palm Beach. Like we're not in a good way here. So the fact that these teachers are standing out there fighting for a little bonus is sort of like a Band-Aid on an amputation. And it's just, oh, and I also, my biggest issue is people need to understand this. The most important thing is somebody who's transparent right. for this job. I cannot stress this enough because it's like, that's where we keep having problems. We are now on our second school board that is basically having to be replaced for criminal behavior. Like this happened, we're already on our second, oh, third, third, sorry. It's just ridiculous. And that's the problem is I feel like we don't have people on there that are being transparent. And I think there's people on there that are very self-serving and that we need to not have that. That's what well, I think. Well, one thing we got to do, we have to do, and, then, and, that, and I'm serious, we have to take the politics, the politics yeah. out of, off the school board. Yeah. And understand what it's about. It's about educating our children. And that's what my passion is. Let's get back to the business of educating our children and not enriching everybody that wants a contract from the it's, school district. Exactly. See, this is the thing. There is so much weight. I remember there was that story about that facility way out west and they had been paying for like years and years to keep the facilities running and the air conditioning going, even though they never opened the facility and there was millions and millions. Do you remember what I'm talking, do you know what I'm talking about? It was like yeah, a thing. That was, yeah, that was out, out. I think that was out in sunrise somewhere out there. When you know they, what I'm saying? Like ridiculous. Yes, I remember it. Yeah. Here's, here, let me tell you what I have. My idea is, you know, one thing, Jen, you know, we, I'm, I'm one of those people that my favorite saying is you can't unscramble eggs. Yeah. But what we can do, is we can start trying to uh, craft a nice omelet, right? And let me explain to you what I mean by that. We just don't want to redo any of anything that we've done in the past. We don't want to keep putting, like you said before, we can't keep putting a Band-Aid on cancer. <clears throat> we have to stop now. And I think, I think the new board is going to do that. And because I, you know, I'm, I expect to win in uh, in November. So the new board is is prepared and ready. The board is the business side of the school district. Exactly. And we and we are to be held responsible for how those dollars are spent. We we have to and we haven't been doing that. We haven't no. been holding people responsible for it. Now, uh on the flip side of that, unfortunately, 
people that have been running for the board haven't had their own agenda. Needless, I think that's a great, I think that's a great segue. Obviously your opponent is, um, Mm -hmm. he has a name that's been a fixture in the County for a long time. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, um, the, the head of the snake, if you will, has officially been cut off. Uh, mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that there isn't the possibility that um, their money and their tricks will not result in another wholeness being in a position of power. So as a result, uh, it's not going to be easy, but it was a very close race and you came in a strong second. What do you right. anticipate will be the difference going into the general election which I do think you do have some advantages working in your favor. But obviously, we'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, potential consolidation with other candidates that ran. And now you're, uh, you know, leading the charge. What, what, what do you foresee happening over the next two months to that ultimately that advantage. lead to victory? Well, funny you all should ask that, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm, I'm always uh, nine steps ahead uh, in my thought processes and how I deal with thing and because things and because I understand politics. I am a politician, and I hear a lot of people say, "Well, I'm not." Well, I am. I'm a politician, Impressive. and I enjoy, I enjoy politics. I'm good at them, but I don't. Uh, I don't get in. I don't get involved in the politics. Let me just put it that way. I like that. Okay, so at the end of the day, I've already, and I have to give my husband credit, Pastor Robert Lynch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of times when I'm in my feelings, he he tends to take the <laughs> take the reins and do all of the right things, right? So he um, called all That's of my uh, all of my opponents and invited them to a brunch Ooh. at at my. Um, political consultant's home on neutral ground. Wasn't at my, you know what I mean? Wasn't at my home. And sure. the whole purpose for that was one to uh, form a team, a solidarity, a team in solidarity with, for the sole purpose of helping to make district five a district that our kids would kids love and that everybody want to live in and, and admire. So my job was to just listen to my former opponents, because everybody have good ideas, right? And everybody, and if you ran for this office in this district, and if you live in this district, you understand the needs and you're passionate about that. And all of my opponents were passionate about it. But uh, the, the, key, the thing is, is after we all came together, we had a beautiful uh, brunch, by the way. So four of them showed up. Nellie Walsh, Walsh, Dr. Lynch, Dr. Walsh, Lynch, Lynch Walsh, rather, she came, Antonio Burgess, Gloria Lewis, and Coach from uh, Coach uh, Clifford Coach. They all came. We invited everybody, right? Except wholeness, of course. Uh, <laughs> no offense. No offense. Right. No offense. No offense. And and just ask, I ask for all, I ask for their support. I listen to their concerns and we all were on the same page. So now they are no longer my opponents. They are my supporters. That's love it. Yeah. So I, so we posted, I posted a picture. If you, if you friend me, you'll see it with all of, all of us in the picture, letting everybody know that this is a brand new day in the neighborhood. That's really great. 
That's I mean, ultimately, that's how it happens is you yeah. start narrowing down to who really is most capable of, of getting the vote for this community. And when you get people that are on that same page, then, you know, it's about the mission. Um, and something that's very important is and that I've noticed this about you is you're always nonpartisan. Yes. <clears throat> I mean, I yes. know that you're not like in your personal life, nonpartisan, but like yeah. the, where you're involved and you take very nonpartisan roles. And I very much appreciate that. And you don't make them partisan. And, well, and because I, kids, kids, kids don't come with a D or an R. Correct. When you're talking about our children. I could care less, really, what your label is. I'm going to be honest with you. But when you when you're doing things to hurt them, that's a whole nother issue. You know, I, this whole some of the, the laws and some of the rules and regulations that they put in place in Tallahassee now is just absolutely asinine. Yeah. Let well, me just put that out there. OK. Oh, yeah. But let me just bring it home to a more myopic view. We'll never be able to combat that situation until we get our own house clean. Thank, Thank you. you. Couldn't have said it better. Exactly. And Tallahassee, it's like, I'm not going to call it a fool's errand, but I definitely right. call it, you're just only playing defense. Exactly. You're, you're never going to have an opportunity to push through anything meaningful. You, all you can do is try to hold on to whatever rights they're and letting considering, you keep. And considering the leadership it's in true. this county for the past 30 years, Ruth, as you know, they have allowed what ha what was super blue Broward to basically become blue-ish Broward. Uh, if you're not taking care of what is going on in your own backyard, then there is no point in trying to fight in Tallahassee. You don't have a, a formidable front line on your home base. And what's even more interesting, which never gets talked about enough, is that Florida is a county strong state. There's a lot of things that our governor has attempted to do, and Broward in particular, but has been met with brute force from the fact that the county is not just going to play by his rules. He no. takes a very hard line, but ultimately, as was the case, especially with masks in schools, he lost. And so yeah. if we focus on what needs to be done locally, I think right. that's what will serve us much better on the state level. And keeping it nonpartisan is how you attract independence and even people yeah. from the conservative side of things to say, you know what, this seems like a great idea. I'm going to embrace it. Fiscal conservatism when it comes to school spending. Yeah, it is a problem. It doesn't Major. get talked about enough. Major. And look, and, the, and let's face it, blue, green, black, red, yellow, uh, whatever. Mm. Money is money. And how you spend and allocate dollars, that's important. Agreed. Yeah. And what you decide to allocate and spend dollars on is more important. And I have a very, very voracious issue with the fact that teachers are having to buy supplies. Uh, 94% of teachers in the United States have to purchase school supplies for at least one student in every single class. Okay, that well, how about these three words? School lunch debt. That's a thing. Uh -huh. There's a thing. Like, school lunch debt 
that should not be a thing. Like that is the most ridiculous thing I have heard. I mean, like about in our public schools, really, we can't feed these kids. And I would imagine that in some parts of probably District 5, that some of these schools, these kids are suffering mightily because of the cuts. Most of them are at least 90, 80 to 90% free and reduced lunches. Exactly. Exactly. And at the end of the day, and, and let's just face it, the tax base, because everything stems from that, yeah. in District 5, for the most part, is probably at the bottom of the rung. Okay? Yeah, we have some pockets of very, very nice neighborhoods in our community. But one thing that I have to give District 5 that I don't see everywhere else, they are concerned about the children. They really wow. and truly are. And if they they just haven't had anyone that's not afraid to call out everybody. I think a very good point yeah. here that needs to be made, and this is a great place to wind down the conversation, you know, the issue of collegiate student debt be, mm-hmm. got to the forefront of the conversation. We appreciate what President Biden did, nowhere near even close to enough in terms of what needs to be done. But the bigger issue is not student debt. It's the fact that we don't have tuition-free higher education and we do not have an emphasis on trade schools. And I would like to think that in especially District 5, if somebody has the ability to learn a skill as part of public education, they would be embracing that with open arms if given the chance. Is that something, is that part of your fight should you get to the school board? That is that part of the fight. That's a, that's a, that's inclusive in the fight. Let me just say this. Here's the deal. The, the, the believe it or not, Broward County has three of the best technical schools in the nation. Hmm. Okay, these kids can graduate high school, yes, uh, career ready. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. I think part of our problem is with that is is that we don't have a great um, communication tool between the schools and the parents in the community. There's a breakdown there because it's amazing. On, <laughs> on the circuit, I was, I talk, they asked me, and some people, you know, they try to stump you, right? But Jen, you know, I do my homework. They ask me, um, well, name three things that's good about Broward County. And they roll off of my tongue like that because I know what they are. One, we have the Cambridge program. That's the Cambridge program is, is, is fostered by Cambridge University. And little people know, little do people know that if you graduate with a Cambridge education from your high school, you don't even, you can go anywhere, any college in the United States just about it without even taking the ACT or the SAT. Because there are students that don't test well, but they're A students, oh, yeah. right? That's the first thing. Technical schools. We The technical schools, you can graduate with uh, a, a certificate where you can start out making $60,000, $80,000 straight out of high school because of your certificate. We have internship programs. Also, there's dual enrollment. Your kids can be talking about... Uh, putting a cap on uh, education. We have a relationship with Broward College where these kids can graduate with an AA degree. 
because they can do dual enrollment. We haven't we haven't marketed those things well. We also have the best debate pr program, okay? And the what's what's my other one? Oh, in a major, we have the best ROTC program in the nation. Okay, my husband mentored a young man, is mentoring a young man. His name is Van, and he is the top cadet in Broward County. And he has a free pass just about it after he graduates to West Point. Those type of things are available in our schools, but we so mired in all of this the idiocy and the stupidity. Until we're not talking about those wonderful things. Now, here's my issue right now. We are bleeding teachers. Oh, yes. That's the reason why, guys, I voted for the referendum. Yeah. Because you can't No, we don't pay them enough, but we cannot tell the ones that are staying here that you won't get a bonus this year. You know, we can't say that. So, but... Because I'm Lean Six Sigma Greenbelt, we can I, we plan to go in with a couple of my board member friends. We can go in and we can find money, guys, to pay our teachers. There's it's, it's something has to give, and we have to pay them. We just had they just brought in a hundred teachers from the Philippines. Wonderful idea, everybody. But they have a a, a, cur a learning curve. They come into a whole new culture. Language barrier, too. Uh, just a lot of different things that we have to deal with. and But we have to put people in the classroom. I've had uh, students, because I, I work with a lot of students, too. I've had students tell me, Miss Lynch, we didn't have a math teacher in our class the whole school year last year. And we're, we're going into our senior year. We cannot have that happen, okay? We have to take care of these kids. And I tell everybody, if we don't have teachers and non-instructional workers, don't get me wrong, administrators, we have to take care of these people because if we don't have them, we have no school. Do you hear me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That that Those are the things that we have to take care of immediately because statewide, Broward is down 9,000 teachers. Yeah. Well, they're less, they're lower paid than their two neighboring counties. So there's not a lot of incentive there. And that <laughs> does come from, that's obviously a countywide thing that you as somebody on a school board would be overseeing in terms of a budget yes. and able to have transparency and a say so. And the reason I had an issue with the referendum is mm -hmm. for me, what it read like was mm -hmm. sort of like a giant slush fund for law enforcement. I don't like that the amount of money they want to put into patrolling schools. There is already so much money, more money patrolling schools than guidance counselors at schools. And we have an over-policing problem in our schools. Well, you'll be surprised to know that that's the way it appears. That's not the way it is. Okay. okay. It's not that way. As a matter of fact, uh, a lot of the schools, for instance, the schools out here in the East, a lot of our schools don't even have... Uh, carts for the for the uh, security people to be able to go from one point to another, which is crazy because right. if something happens over here, there's no way they can run from one side of the school to the other side of the school. So those just little things like that 
Because by the time they get to the other side of the school, nine people could be dead. You know what I mean? So oh. we we have to definitely take care of the security issue. And 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 by the way, only 17 percent of the money was going to security. The other eight percent was going to uh, mental health, which should have been I think it should have been vice versa. But that's neither here nor there. Um, the bulk of it, I think 71 percent or 77 percent was going for teachers bonuses. OK. And non-instructional workers. So they, uh, here again, our marketing sucks, okay? Oh, definitely. But then again, you have a Broward Teachers Union that actually puts out, reiterates an endorsement for a candidate who was just indicted. Uh, so, you know, we're, people aren't getting the best information locally. Well, let me just say this. Um, because I'm extremely biased, when it comes to uh, BTU, I'm going to reserve my comments for after I get on the a day or so. <laughs> that is a, if that ain't a politician's answer, I've never heard one before. A very smart but answer. It was a great answer. And for those of you who know us, we are very big supporters of Ruth Carter Lynch. Guys, if Thank you would you. be so inclined, please go to voteforruth2022.com. If you can sign up to phone bank, text bank, if you are in South Florida, you can volunteer to canvas. Remember, this is a nonpartisan race. And yes. I would like to think that the points that have been made this evening regarding education, especially here in Broward, we would be well served with having somebody like Ruth on the school board. So let's make it happen over the next two months. Ruth, let me give you my let yeah. me give you my area. So my area. OK, I have all of Florida Hill, all mm -hmm. of Lauderdale Lakes a portion of Sunrise, Plantation, and it goes up to Knob Hill. See, okay. I'm literally on the other side of Knob Hill. That's mm -hmm. why you, yeah, but that's yeah. also what keeps me in District right. 25. And I have uh, Fort Lauderdale, a huge portion of Fort Lauderdale. Okay. And uh, a smidgen of Oakland Park and a little bit of Tamarack. Tamarack, just a small, small portion of Tamarack. It's the Midlands. It's only two locations. So, But they still are part of the district. And that's, that, that's, that's, those are the places they can vote for me. And you know my slogan, if you want the truth, vote, vote for, for Ruth. <laughs> Definitely have you come out to one of the local networking events really soon. Ruth Carter-Lynch. Thank you so much. We look forward to speaking with you it's again soon. Good to see soon. you. Good to see you, Jen. It's been a minute. So let's get together, girlfriend. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Have a good night, my friend. And thank you. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Hi, Ruth. So I think you know that she is... Um, She's not just lovely. She's just a great person. She is a great person. And, and she's just somebody who is very no nonsense and does not play games. Correct. And and is somebody that really does like serving public like she just does. She's somebody that actually likes public service. So she'd be a perfect person to be in a role where what we need the most right now is transparency. We've now had three school boards that have had to basically been completely disbanded and restarted because of corruption. Yeah. And like, it gets really, and it gets really tiresome with people just saying, Oh, you know, DeSantis is on a witch hunt. And it's like, well, listen, I will say this. DeSantis is definitely looking for anything that he can use for political gain. Don't give him anything. <laughs> like you're, you're giving him the farm when, you know, 
you, you're like, oh, well, you know, he's already on his way to re-election and potentially running for president and being oh, yeah. formidable. Oh, yeah. It's like, why give him any advantages? He doesn't need them. What we need is a more transparent elected body here in Broward County. Uh-huh. And somebody like Ruth would definitely make that Yeah, sense. she's she's really very, like, non-biased about stuff. Like, she's very, can really just serve anybody like she's just yeah she didn't great. even really get a chance to emphasize the point that she made about the fact <clears throat> she was her it was it was ruth that brought the fact that even though she is obviously a very strong democrat she really emphasizes the fact that this is nonpartisan, and that you have to appeal to everybody but we have a very big problem in broward that tends to always lead with your political affiliation it's true and that's really not what the average person wants. It's part of the reason why voter turnout is so abysmal. What was it? This like It was bad, right? Was it 11 yeah. percent? I don't remember the exact total. I know some areas did pretty well. Because, I mean, like with, I, last time I saw whatever, we, it was like 14 percent, and that was high. That was like mm. a pretty high turnout. I mean, it's pretty pathetic. Well, I think we're just waiting on Jason. Okay. Pascal is already here. Okay. Um, so you know what? We could probably get the ball rolling. We can. Like. Yeah. So guys, this is this is very exciting for me. It's very exciting because there's a few shows that I watch um, that I sort of, it's like, you know, I have like my fangirl moments. There's certain people that I watch and I just kind of like what they have to say. And I also... For me, I'm very like sapiosexual in my mind, like just sapio. And so I'm very, I find like intellectual people very appealing. And I also, yet it's, yeah. So anyway, this show that I watch is called, um, This This Is is Revolution. And um, the only reason I was complaining is because I just recently watched what they did a crossover with the Left Reckoning guys. And so I was kind of, but anyway, This Is Revolution and it's Jason Miles and Pascal Robert. And it's just really good show. It's very informative. It's smart people. It's policy driven. It's not stupid politics crap. And it comes at it from a very, I think, it's, you know, I find Pascal very academic. Jason, when I spoke to him on the phone, thought it was funny that I felt like more intimidated by Pascal. Like he has this sort of very, I don't know, professorial kind of thing. Like, I don't know, it just reminds me of like somebody that would like be doing a Socratic method to me in law school or something. All like right, that. well, let's go to class. Pas- I'm just saying it's intimidating, but I, you know. Well, we'll, we'll see. I'm just we'll saying. See how much more, we'll see how much knowledge we can. And I was, and I said to Jason, I'm like, I just thought he would be so much more serious. And Jason said that I had it reversed. So we're going to, we're going to find out, but Jason's not here. So I can only reference my phone conversation. Well, hopefully he'll be here soon enough, but without further ado, Pascal Robert, welcome to generational change. Thank you for having me. Wow. I was sitting there watching this. I was like, these are local people. These are South Florida folk. This is a South Florida show. I was like, oh my God. We're we're like the only one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But thank you so much for the kind words. Uh, hopefully Jason will be here. I, I, I was expecting him to show on. I'm sure he'll try to get on at some point. But okay. I am not as, you know, I guess people think that I don't smile as much as I should for some reason <laughs> on the show. And I get the, the stereotype as being the bad guy, the good, the bad cop to his good cop. But he's just a generally jovial kind of very, like, funny person. But I'm really glad that you are a fan of the show. That You know, I'm, the first time I'm being aware of your program, and yeah. uh, I see I've been watching for a few minutes with your prior guests, so I can see you guys get right into the into the subject matter off the bat. But um, thanks for having us on. Absolutely. No, you know what? I generally one of the things that I like to do with this show is I look at 
what we're trying to do is building a web. And every connection I make just makes a coalition stronger of connections and people that I think of that are on our same mission and are really looking for things like, you know, justice and equity and, and, and not just in words, but actually getting it done. And the older I get, the lefter I get. Um, which is scary because I'm 51. So I'm getting a little older and I'm definitely lefter than I've ever been. And I'm just, it's concerning to me where in this country, we no longer have a left really like represented in our electoral system. There is no left. They sit and talk about the left. Like they think that Joe is the left. Like they, we hear that, which is ridiculous, but we don't have a labor party. We have no left. So when I see something like that you guys put out, it's like I feel a certain sense of camaraderie. And so that's really what I like to do is just reach out and try to build these connections. I appreciate that so much, because one of the themes if you, I know you watch our show long enough is that we have this theme on our show called the 50 plus year counter revolution. And the, the whole premise of that theme is that since the New Deal Civil Rights Coalition of the 1960s, most of American politics from the rise of Nixon up until today bipartisanly, whether it was Democrat or Republican, was a move to a more conservative consensus with the corporate agenda of the kind of general ruling class kind of financiers, lords of capital. So what we have is that there's actually less difference between the two parties than we realize. And the things that actually is driving them is the fact that they're both motivated by the financial goals to serve capital. Yeah. I agree. I agree. You know, so one of the things that we try to do on our show is that we try not to get stuck in terms of the left right kind of paradigm of the Democrats versus Republicans and basically try to make people understand that the problem here is that we don't have a concept called a public goods form of governance, meaning that we don't have a form of governance that's rooted in allowing our government to work for the public as opposed to working for the private interests of finance capital, the banks real estate interests, insurance industries, and things of that nature. But it's interesting to me because every time I think I get to like, where was the turning point in history when it became so corporatized? Where where was it? And no matter how far back I go, I could see going further back. And now I'm starting to see the reality is it's always been this. It's always been this. You've always been serving at like the behest of capital. I mean, like that's what we've been doing from the beginning. I mean- <laughs> Am I missing well, something? I mean, we, are, we are in a capitalist society. I think that the brief iteration of what they call like the Keynesian model, if you will, or the kind of the, the break where we had investment in state infrastructure, where we had, you know, the government was actually fulfilling the needs of the populace. You might say the New Deal period after the World War II, where you had high investment in public infrastructure, you had high, you know, good union jobs, you had the capacity of at least some members of American society to be able to live in a nice middle class environment with the with the at the behest of you know union jobs that were being propelled by the National Labor Relations Board, the Work Projects Administration, all of the various government programs that came out of the New Deal did create a kind of middle class development for segments of American society. And a lot of those benefits were racialized, unfortunately, because of they were going on during the Jim Crow era. But at the same point. That was that was a very brief period of time for the majority of America's economic and political and legal history. We've had a very rapacious capitalist society. And the point of the matter is, is that one of the consequences of that is that we have not really had an economic paradigm 
that has been interested in trying to redistribute wealth to the least of these in our society, as opposed to redistributed to the most to those who are at the top. And that's kind of the nature of what we, what we try to do at our show is to try to make the argument that we can actually create an economic paradigm where we are trying to redistribute resources in a way that gives more equity to as many people as possible. I so appreciate that. And people who watch this know that one of the things I say is really how I determine if people are on my mission is either you believe we have a responsibility for the least of these, or you do not believe we have that responsibility. And I do. And so I'm really able to work with anybody who kind of sees that, you know, who's able to understand that greater, that, that picture of what I'm, you know, what we're about. And the problem is, is that politically speaking, we don't see that represented. And when you talk about labor, the reality is that's both left and right. Like that in, in terms of our political spectrum, you have you go to a union rally, you're going to have Bernie people and Trump people at the same, you know, at the same event. Um, so it's not represented in our politics, but it is definitely needed in our you know, economic structure. And we're not having enough pull to the left. I mean, that's what I think is the problem. No, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, though, is like one of the things that one of the consequences of the way in which political media work in America is that anything that's considered to the left of the traditional liberal Democratic Party is considered, oh, my God, oh, the socialists, leftists, Marxists, oh, they want to tear that. I mean, people don't realize that, like, you know, Martin Luther King was talking about democratic socialism before he died. He says, you know, people, you know, there, there were lots of people. Eugene Debs was talking about trying to find a way to improve the quality of life for poor and working class people. All of these quote unquote horrible socialists were not walking around with hammer, hammers and sickles talking about we need to draw blood and take send people to the communes. They were talking about trying to create a way in which we can actually challenge the, the lords of capital to actually find a way to increase the quality of life for the majority of Americans and American society. And there is a long history of American socialism that was really rooted in trying to actually improve the conditions of life for the left, particularly working class people, particularly union workers. But depending on the environment you're in, you say those words, you're like, oh, you want to support the Cubans? And, you know, particularly in a place like South Florida, where we have a lot of very reactionary politics when it comes to the S word and gets people very, very turned off and alarmed and terrified and all kinds of other things. But I also see this as, and we're speaking with Pascal Robert of the This Is Revolution podcast. Uh, I, I really think that when it comes to why the Democratic Party in particular doesn't act in earnest when it comes to, you know, supporting policies that are very necessary, especially right now, not just because of how hyperpartisan the divide really is, but because there is such an equality in society. And I often wonder if that has a lot to do with the hammerlock that the Democratic Party has on the black vote and the fact that they just assume, well, they're just going to vote for us anyway. We really don't have to give them anything. And because this has become such a political arena that is completely dominated by corporate money, their attitude is, well, they don't really have a lot of money to give us anyway, so we're not going to adhere to what they want. We're just going to follow what our corporate donors want. And the second anyone comes along, like a Bernie Sanders who espouses this idea that corporate special interests dominating our political arena is not a good thing, and it's treated as heresy, hmm. but there's a lot of people who have been hearing it for the past several years who are thinking, yeah, maybe that you know social democracy really is what we need right now. It's just a question of, do we have it in us to really stand up and fight for that, whether it's 
within the party or, dare I say, even outside of the party at this point? That's that's a really great question. I really like the way you framed that because there is a long history we've had mm-hmm. of the Democratic Party misusing or abusing black voters. And one of the re- realities that it is, is that we have a phenomenon, we have an institutional mechanism within the Democratic Party that I've written about called the black political class. What is the black political class? The black political class are the traditional elected officials, political and civil rights organizations, black churches, historically black colleges and universities, and institutional mechanisms that corral black voter participation into the more conservative corporate wing of the Democratic Party in exchange for patronage from that sector to maintain fealty of that sector to those forces. A perfect example of someone like that would be someone like James Clyburn, who constantly uses his power to basically wield it to get black voters in the South Carolina primary to neutralize the most progressive or left alternative in that primary and channel votes into the more, more corporate-friendly, Democrat, DNC-friendly candidate in the Democratic Party. And this is a problem that we have all over the country. There are, there are, black, there are iterations of the black political class everywhere, and they are connected in their in their attempt to make sure that they neutralize the progressive left and find a way to to constrain their capacity to effectively get out a message that challenges the status quo of the corporate wing of the Democratic Party. And it's something that I don't think is discussed enough because it's 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 such an institutionally sacrosanct part of how the Democratic Party and Democratic politics works, that to try to puncture the, 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 the ideological superstructure that they have over black politics is considered a threat to so many institutions that people don't want to go there. And I think for me, it's something that has to be done or else you're going to maintain with the same, have, maintain having the same kind of stale corporate-friendly politics that we both already evidenced is the core root is the, of the problem. Yeah, they do a good job, though. Like they do a really good job of corralling, especially older black women um, and really maintaining their hold, like almost like do or die on this, you know, and that group of people. And it's incredibly frustrating because they just are so not real. It's very hard to get into that when you've got like, for example, our congresswoman buys the pastor's. Like she makes donations to each congregation and she buys the pastors and then they shepherd the vote. And so you guys have seen how the black political class works up front. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. And and what's what's unfortunate is that um, people like me would appeal way more when you talk about like the people that are the what my friend calls the streets and the people that are the working people. But unfortunately, those aren't the people that vote in the black community. The people that vote are this black political class. And that that is who's sort of setting the whole tone for the black vote, especially down here. I mean, I'm sure it's different per region, but like we had Marcel. It's it's, it's a consistent theme. Yeah, we had Marcel on. Dixon was on our show twice um, when you were talking about the progressive running against James, uh, James Clyburn. Wow. I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. Well, you know, this is a persistent problem that we've been seeing throughout the country. The infrastructure of the black political class is something that's developed over a 50-year period that comes out of the Gary, Indiana Convention that started in 1972. That was a black political convention that was trying to f- chart out the future of where black politics was going to go after the civil rights movement. And what ends up happening is that those who were more conservative in their vision take over as the bellwether in terms of controlling the direction of black politics, and they start to chart out this method 
of using electoral politics to basically fulfill their own patronage positions, i.e. like the churches you're talking about, as opposed to actually fulfilling the actual needs of their of their constituency. So black politics becomes a kind of cartel-like politics. It's a cartel politics where you have people who are feigning racial authenticity to gain support of these constituencies, but in reality, their actual allegiance are to the same corporate forces that are doling out that patronage that's subsidizing their political behavior. Why do you think the, and again, this is something that we can't speak to. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I lived in the Bronx for two years, but I'm an, I'm, I'm a white American. I'm a, you're white. I'm as, you frigging glow. I am as white as it gets. Uh, There is something to be said for what transpires in the black community when it comes to not questioning your leaders. There's a reason why in the black community, it is only prevalent when it comes to voting on slate cards. No other culture does that. They don't give out like it's like when you go to polling locations in black communities, there's always slate cards that they put where basically one organization. It could be legitimate or not. Sometimes they're just somebody pretends they're an organization and they put together a roster of candidates and they hand them out. And you will get lots of voters that want those and look at them. But nowhere in the white polling places, nobody ever hands Even those out. Even in the Latino community, it's not like that. And, and I'm curious from your perspective, why is that? Because it's been decades and decades and decades. And these are just new forms of Jim Crow laws that are placed upon the black community and ultimately doesn't steer in the direction of prosperity as is needed. And yet it really becomes the definition of insanity of just doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Black politics is a politics of capture and containment. What does that mean? Black, basically, the, the purpose of black politics is not to fulfill the needs of the black voting participant. The purpose of black politics is to capture, like a total collective capture and contain the black voter participation in a way so that a small tier of individuals can ask as act as racial ventriloquists for the majority of black voters to the detriment of those black voters at the behest of the ruling class institutions in the political party that they serve. So it, the reason why you can have those slate cards is because black politics for over a century has been rooted as having amorphous, ambiguous individuals be the spokesman. Who are, what other constituency in America has a quote unquote leader? Who's the black? Who's the Latino leader of the day? Who's the Jewish leader? Why is there always a black leader that you have to go to in every municipality to get everything, anything done in any area? I don't get it. No one asked me who I voted for for my black leader. I don't get a card in terms of who is the black leader. The black leader isn't even chosen by the black people. It's someone who's chosen by the powers that be that exist in these municipal areas that are the ones that are actually going to dictate how that, that quote-unquote leader is used to fulfill their agenda. So the main reason why you don't see this in other constituencies is that most other constituencies don't have a politics where their politics are contained in a way to work at the behest of the same agents that are working to their disadvantage. Right. So basically in black community, there's basically like this middleman sort of group of people that are ciphering, like deciphering and telling everybody who to vote for in a way that people have come to rely on that. Exactly. 
Yeah. I mean, and you see that also like certain unions are are like that too. Like you do see it with labor um, quite a bit where people will come in and they'll have their, you know, whatever their union card. But you would be very surprised, Pascal, especially in Jen's first run, which was, you know, it was a fairly ragtag for a considerable portion of it. We had no idea what we were doing. Definitely came on stronger towards the, uh, towards the end. But um, one of the union leaders that we met with, I will not say who, um, and I don't want to give away too much information because a lot of people watch, but I can assure you that this person wanted to endorse Jen, but feared the wrath of the person at the top, basically bringing the hammer down if they so dared to get out of line. And I, I think that there is something to be said, especially this is much more prevalent in the Democratic Party than in the Republican it, Party, that's true. where there really is this hierarchical structure that is in place that if you get out of line, you will be removed. You will be replaced with somebody else who will do the bidding of the hierarchy. I think there's some truth to that. I think that the Democratic Party works in a certain kind of, uh, they have this, this they, they have these kind of interpersonal coalitions of association that are not ruled, rooted on mutual interests, but really kind of fealty to leadership. That if you don't, if you don't, adhere to the hierarchy, you're going to get cut out. And I think that there's a lot of ways in which that works to the disadvantage of the rank and file. I am not a member of the Democratic Party. I haven't been a Democrat in years. I'm not a Republican by any stretch of the imagination either. But I, I feel that there is many ways that the Democratic Party has got to be challenged for us to be able to find a way to create a kind of politics. I'm much more interested at this particular stage of my life in grassroots politics and movement politics, organizing grassroots members of society, giving them political education. I'm very much of a fan of like the SNCC, Fannie Lou Hamer, Ella Baker model, where we go in and we actually talk to people about the problems that they have and give them the political education to challenge the actual mechanisms of, of, of obstruction that help facilitate having them the kind of poor state politics that we have now, because I don't find the electoral politics in the way that exists today as being a means to effectively find the solutions that we need to challenge the status quo around the issues that we're concerned about for our constituencies. This is why I'm going further and further to the left. This is exactly why, like I'm realizing look, I am technically registered as a Democrat only because where we live and we have closed primaries, if I'm not a Democrat in Broward County, there's no, I can't participate in our politics. It's just, right. what it is. so there's, I, I don't have a real choice, but I don't agree with them philosophically. There's, there's no there there. That's just a little corporate tool sitting there bringing the uh, Mick resistance to the other corporate tool on the other side. And meanwhile, nothing's getting done right. by design because all the money's being siphoned to the top. And we're all fighting amongst ourselves over like fringe and identity issues when the biggest issue is labor. And that's yeah. and, and, and where everybody sort of needs to understand that it's a top bottom thing. It's the, the class issue is massive. And it masquerades. Well, just I mean, like it's a class issue. It's an up and down, a top bottom issue, a race issue. This is that's the defining thing. And nobody wants to really address that because that would be very unifying. Well, the labor issue is the race issue. There is something to be said about economic prosperity and the type of policies that a real strong labor movement led right now by someone I finally had the privilege of meeting in person oh, yeah. the other day, Chris Smalls. Uh, Excellent. We've had him on our show. Could yeah. not ask for a better leader. And what makes him an even better leader is that he's really black. 
He speaks <laughs> like he's from the street. He knows the streets. Yeah. And he ain't there to be a, a white man's, uh, you know, little errand boy. He is going to lead the way that needs to be led. And he is. He's not I having mean, it. Again, he's, he's, like, he's like a modern day Malcolm X. And people are really scared shitless of him. They should ter- be. As they should be. As they should be. Good. And I and I would be inclined to tell them, you know, just make sure you got good people around you always watching your back yeah. because he can rally people. Uh, he can rally people. He can make them believe that anything is possible if we work together. And the way I got to tell you, Pascal, the best thing he did, bar none, after they won that union race was when he went on Tucker Carlson. And the way he handled himself. He won't that, be invited back, mind you. Maybe not. But I did love that appearance. The way that he was able to redirect that conversation when he wanted him to just go and bash AOC. AOC. You got Tucker Carlson to say, I'm not a union guy, but we could definitely use more balance with labor in this country. And I'm thinking that's the greatest freaking thing I, you could ever hope to hear, especially from somebody like that. Right, right. Well, Tucker Carlson is trying to act like a full progressive nowadays because he realizes that the condition of the country economically requires that that kind of crony capitalism that he's been such a sponsor of for years doesn't sell anymore. And Chris Smalls was very adept in his ability to kind of play Carlson's fake faux populism in a way that he got his talking points out very effectively. And I was very glad to see it. And I applaud him as well. I think he's very important. I think it's a very good thing that we're seeing more young, black, brown, white males involved in these movements around materialist economic issues such as labor, such as work, such as the ability to find you know good union jobs, particularly as a company like Amazon. And I'm very, very happy to see the potentiality of someone like, like Chris Smalls and that his capacity to possibly change and change up the dynamics that we have here. So I agree with you that he is definitely a bright future, a bright star in the, in the constellation that we have ahead of us, and uh, I look forward to seeing more of him. And I just think that you guys, this message that you guys hear, this is you know a local program, and the fact that you allow someone like myself from our podcast, which you know some would consider a little radical for them for for the for the political mainstream, if you will. I really appreciate that we're able to be invited upon here to talk about our politics and we can actually find so much commonality and made people realize they're like, listen, this is not some kind of like scary kind of, you know, radical idea we're talking about. We're talking about politics. It's about the bread and butter issues that Americans need to face. Union jobs, healthcare, Medicare for all, a stable education, quality education, trying to save public education for our citizens, quality housing, affordable housing as well. And these are things that one time the Democratic Party at least behaved or acted like they cared about. But over the last few years, they've become more and more of a mimic of the Republican Party on those issues. Well, before we continue, (laughs) we are now pleased to bring on your other half, Jason Miles. Welcome to Generational Change. Hello. How are you guys? You got to change. Oh. Hey, good. good. <laughs> you have a time delay because you're you're not in the country, right? Is that what it is? You're in you're in Mexico, right? I'm in I'm in Mexico. Yeah, so I'm in a different time zone than you guys. That's so nice. It almost looks it, like you're sitting outside on a beach. You are, I, aren't you? You're sitting in front of a beach, you aren't see, you? I am. You can see the beach. <laughs> You can see the beach from oh, where I am. Uh, this is home. That, 
Yeah, and a country that also has healthcare, which is nice. Uh, I, I will say, and and I think that this uh, this is perfect timing for you to come on because we were just addressing the leadership within the black community, particularly Chris Smalls and the amazing work that he has done mm-hmm. uh, leading the labor movement. It, but, and somebody leading it that is the right person that needs to be yes. leading it. Well, that's the whole perfect storm. The person that can actually go into communities and tell them how they're really getting screwed yes. and how working together at basically locking arms with people that you don't necessarily agree with because the policies that we're fighting for are on the same wavelength. So I got to ask mm-hmm. you guys, we don't really see, particularly in non-corporate left politics, a lot of cross-pollinating where people are looking to network together. There is a hell of a lot of nihilism but I also think there's a Jason lot of- knows the people that were about the people that were mean to us. Yeah, well, there's, <laughs> but, there's, but there's also a lot of opportunism. So if you guys can really speak to, you know, how you decipher between the ones who are really for the mission and the ones who are really for themselves, because I think that's a huge, huge problem in left politics right now that not a lot of people, yeah. I think, fully understand. You mean like comment, like like online, like content that are fighting creators. for common that are fighting for the yeah. common cause? Yeah. We well, let Jason handle that one. <laughs> yeah, Pascal's like, are you take <laughs> whoever wants to take it first? I think that Twitter talk Jason, you broke a little bit. I'll take it. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, go for it. yeah, go ahead. Oh, can you guys hear me now? Okay, uh, someone yes. was just recently talking on uh, Twitter about uh, grifters, right? That like that term gets used a lot, and I think it gets yeah, overused. We do. Yeah. Um, and I actually did a video essay, like a little mini documentary about the idea of con artist, especially left space that we're in right now. And it's an easy, uh, uh, pejorative to hurl because you don't really have to back it up. If I say something or do something you don't like, then you're just a con artist. And when we think about real con artists, Bernie Madoff, uh, Roman. Um, I can't think of a woman right now that did Theranos. Um, these are legitimate oh, well, artists that Holmes. literally had a mission. Elizabeth Holmes. And, and their mission was literally to, you know, separate you from your money. And there's a very thin line between what people are seeing as con artists and like people chasing market share, especially in this world. And no one really wants to admit that. And that becomes a bit of a problem. In reference to Chris Small. I talked to before, um, I don't want to say he blew up okay. because I, I don't really look at what he's doing as blowing up, right? I, it's, it's, it's getting recognition. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to trivialize it by saying he's blowing up. He's getting more national acclaim and recognition. And if you listen to our conversation, it's really a conversation about me trying to understand who he is and what prompted him to do what he did. It wasn't like he was sitting around reading Marx and said, aha, it was the condition of his workspace that, that made him angry and that got him thinking more about organizing. And I'm not from the East Coast. I'm from, I'm from California, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area, but Chris and I come from similar backgrounds in the sense of where we grew up in, in that kind of urban environment. And we've both had those types of jobs. Again, what makes his story to me compelling is 
he's not a labor activist that comes from a long line of labor activists. He was a dude that saw something that was wrong. People were literally dying in his facility. He wanted to be uh, a manager of a facility, right? He was a company man, so to speak. And when he saw the way that they were getting treated, especially during COVID, that's when he started organizing. That's when he was like, enough is enough. And it's like, how, how do you get people to get to that point? I think it's really hard because another thing is what happens when you do have that fight in you, especially what we're seeing right now with Starbucks employees. And a lot of these people are very young. What does happen to that fight when they break through to the corporate world and then they walk into the door where you get a lot of the things that you were fighting for? Do you just stop fighting for equality? We saw this already with the, the boomer generation where one the workplace and they have families, a lot of that fire in their behinds left. Um, did you add anything to that, Pascal? No, I think it's a very important. I think that in terms, of the, in terms of the actual sincerity, I mean, part of the problem, and we talked about this earlier, is that we have a lot of people who have been divorced from movement politics for a long period of time, and we don't know what that looks like. So everyone is trying to actually act as if we know exactly what we're doing, when in reality, a lot of us are learning as we're going along. But the, I think that one thing that has to be said is mm. that the key to me is about how much people talk about moving the people as opposed to the politics and the policy, because this can become a form of just left entertainment and, and, and we're mm. just providing entertainment for people. And our goal for me, my goal in this show and working with Jason has always been about political education. Political education is a concept where you try to educate people who are divorced from understanding how politics and policy works to give them the tools and the mechanisms to actually implement the politics that they want to get the results that they want. It's a process for me that goes back to the best of SNCC. It goes back to the best of the of the of the early socialists and of the of the 30s and 40s. It goes back to the you know you know to Eugene Debs. It goes back to all of these left figures who are trying to get regular common working class people to understand that they did not have to live under the boot of economic exploitation and find a way to actually fight the system. I think the best of what we try to do at This Is Revolution is to try to do quality political education. And to answer your question as to how to how to separate the wheat from the chaff is look for people who are rooted in trying to do political education to give options to the citizens as to how to actually fight the system. Those are the shows I watch. That's why I watch your show. Like, I don't watch the nonsense because it's I don't have the mental space for it, quite honestly. I am I am 51. I've been a cannabis user for the bigger part of my life, and I cannot forfeit brain cells to nonsense. I need everyone that I have to focus. And when you say about, it's like you guys definitely are doing education, and you're doing it. My only thought is it's pretty advanced level. Like, I don't know that the average person is necessarily going to totally understand that. And I say this because, and I told this to Jason, I'm sitting and watching you guys and my husband sitting next to me and he's fairly smart. I mean, he, I mean, okay, he's a surgeon. He, he's, he's, he's had education, but he's whatever. He reads comic books. He's not the sharpest. Okay. But so I'm listening to you guys and he was having a really hard time. 
I'm like, are you listening? He's like, I can't. There, I can't. He's like, I just can't. I don't. I can't break that down. Well, come on, don't you just want to complain about other shows and how terrible they are? No, and, get and, and that? I mean, we don't you know. do that. And so you're new to Pascal, at least, and and I know that you never saw our show, but we generally do um, a candidate interview that may or may not be someone local. Tonight, it happened to be someone local. We are South Florida, but we do often do um, who like we've had candidates from all over. Um, we'll even have people running for city races in other states. We'll platform any non-corporate candidate. That's our whole thing is about transforming politics into service and getting the corporate money out and having that our actual representation represents what people want instead of this disconnect that we see. So um that like that's what we're about. But we generally have like a long form type of discussion or interview that isn't local. That's just like like this. And, you know, the more you think that I'm like being so gracious, having the left on, I'm feeling like so thankful to find some more of my people. What are you doing? Oh, good God. Oh, can no, you, can you, you know, okay. I, I think it's really great that you have these guys to come on the show tonight. We're going to talk about a lot of important issues here because the reality is when we stand together, there is nothing we cannot accomplish. So we also do this on our show. We have a good time. And Jen, good to see you. Yes. Unfortunately, I did not become president and I did not get to decriminalize cannabis. I did not get to expand health care. He sees everyone. me sitting here playing with and my bullet. We didn't, have, we didn't have a living wage. We obviously have a climate <laughs> crisis we're dealing with right now. We need to change a lot of things in this country. And Pascal, Jason, it's great to see you guys. Really appreciate your hard work. You did a lot of great work for us in California, which is wonderful. Oh, my and God. Course, keep doing what you're doing. Your show is wonderful. Guys, if you're not watching This <laughs> is Revolution, because the political revolution is what we need in this country right now, then make sure you check out that podcast. We needed you to be a revolutionary, Bernie, and you weren't. You were a reformer. But thank you. I did the best I could. You thank you. Now, it's on you. I'm yes. getting old. It's not my time anymore. Okay. This is the, okay. So we What's do deal with some nonsense, but for the most part, we try to be like, like bring people on, talk issues and, and get experts and authors and smart people like you guys. So that I feel like we're spreading wealth of information. Excellent. That's basically it. Well, you know, thank you. You know, sometimes, I mean, sometimes we well, might, can, can you, can you let your, can you let your husband know, Jen, that, uh oh, I wish you could hear me. We hear you. We okay. We hear you. Can you let your yeah. husband know that we did do? Fading slightly. Now oh. we lost you. Uh oh. Uh oh. Oh. I was trying. Am I there? We hear Am I you now. Just say it again. He's having technical problems. That's yeah. the price you pay for beachfront people in it's whatever true. beautiful Mexico location is he true. is. Indeed. And whatever. Uh, so can whatever we hear you now? Where can we? I don't know if we can hear you now. Are you there? Can you hear me now? Can yes. You? Now we can hear you. So say it Hello. again what you were saying. What should I tell Jason? Okay. I'm Jason. Is your husband named Jason? Too? I know. My husband's Jason. Oh, you have two Jasons. There's a lot of Jasons. If that you we, were born we, in our era, there's a lot of us. 77. Let him know that uh, we've done shows centered uh, comics and the uh, political importance of the Star Wars uh, movies. That's true. So we, we do a lot of light stuff as well. Because uh, uh, now you're talking his Star Wars language and his geekiness and all of that. Like yeah, we've done, we done shows on comic books. We have a gaming show. 
We have a show on sports. We leave un, no, stern unto, no stone unturned in terms of spaces we go into. Don't let my, you know, you know, highfalutinness discourage anyone from coming on and trying to have an understanding of the stuff we talk about. We talk about a lot of fun stuff as well. No, I appreciate intelligent conversation. I really do. And I, and I hate to say it, it doesn't happen that often. Um, It happens when we do our show, you know, like it happens when we, when I get to pick and invite people to come on, but in the regular course of my life, um, unfortunately not. So that's one of the reasons I love doing this. (laughs) But yeah, thank thank you uh, thank you for having us. Yeah, no, I think it's um, it's very important that we do these shows where we cross pollinate, as Jen likes to say. I do because I do think that there's there's something to be said for solidarity. You're not going to agree on everything, but the core mm-hmm. issues that we're fighting for, whether it is a living wage, whether it is universal health care, whether it is a clean energy grid, which we desperately desperately need, and then of course you think about the criminal justice reform that is needed in this country, decriminalization of cannabis, expunging nonviolent drug offender records, making sure that education is reworked in this country in a way that is beneficial to all. That in many ways starts with the fact that most education is based on property taxes, which is a rich man's trick. It always has been. And, you know, again, knowledge is power and being able to have this sort of workers uprising, if you will, is immensely important right now. And I think as long as our shows are working in concert together to spread that message, that's how we're going to become a lot more effective. And I think, I think, as trepidatious as it may seem going into this midterm elections in 24, the more we work together almost unilaterally, I think we're going to be able to get a lot of the things that we're looking for. But we have to check our egos at the door. And that is something I think a lot of people have a hard time doing. That's the biggest problem, I think, with content creators. That's where I think we tend to see it is like it just becomes like an ego thing for people. And I don't know if that's just like a natural inclination. I don't know. I don't know. But that's what seems to happen. And then we get distracted by nonsense. Well, let's keep in touch and hopefully we can work together again in the future, particularly with the midterms coming up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if there's anything that you guys want to plug before you go, please do let everybody know how they can find you, where they can find you, if there's a website, anything. Yeah, guys, it's the This Is Revolution podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you hear us? Yeah. Yeah, This this is revolutionpodcast.com. We live stream every Tuesday and Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific time and Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific time. I say the Pacific time, so you know that I wake up earlier than you. Uh, uh, and also, we're doing uh, a live show. This is Revolution, Left Reckoning, and uh, Ben Burgess has given them an argument. Ooh. We're doing a live show in Los Angeles at the Terragram Ballroom. Tickets are on sale through Ticketmaster. Um, and who else is going to be there? Uh some of the TIR got Derek Varn, Daniel Bessner, Anna Kasparian, Nando Vila, um, just to name a few. There's some more names. No, we're working fine. On. So October 23rd. Is that something you're going to go to, Pascal? Are you in Southern California? No, I'm in Miami. Wait, what? you're down here? Yeah, that's why I was... Uh, yeah. I was actually going to ask you, like you said, mm-hmm. here, but I'm thinking, how... <laughs> You're down here? 
I'm in Miami. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. just like, how is I, I, and that's, that floors me. Like I've never, do you do any, are you involved? I'm in DSA down here. Uh, Okay. So I have, I, when I, I had some friends like that were the FIU guys, the DS, the uh, F, the FIU chapter in Miami. Um, Those guys were really helpful to us back in when our campaign, but I, and and Alex up here is the is DSA for yeah, up here. Yeah, they're also fighting with the for the Starbucks. So well, we should definitely keep each other via email after we get off here. And, and yeah. yeah, for sure, keep, keep in yeah. contact. Because yeah, I've been to, we've were recently down at the Starbucks that was um, working to unionize in Hialeah. Right, I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah, so we it's like we were down there. I'm surprised I haven't crossed paths. Plus, if there's any possibility that Jen may run against Wasserman Schultz again, we're literally going to need a grassroots army, and I have no doubt that you could probably uh, help with that. Yeah, I might be able to help with that. That would be, yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> I, yeah, we'll definitely keep in touch. Thank you guys so much for coming on, and and I'm glad that you got to see that we exist because we're not, you know, we're small but mighty. And we we've had some real, like we've had some really good guests for a little and, show. And the truth of the matter is, if we did spend our time basically just <laughs> talking about the the order of the day, the fight of the day, you know, anything yeah. like that, I have no doubt with our style, our channel probably could have blown up more. You know, we get good yeah. guests on, and we'll have you know viewership that is in the hundreds, even the thousands, and that's great and all, but. Very often, it isn't necessarily about what our show is about. It's like there's this, uh, and I do believe that a lot of it has to do with how the algorithm is designed on on YouTube. No question about that. Um, but people just like drama, and and that's not what we're about. We're about actually fixing these friggin' problems that face us on everyday lives. You're here. Well, yeah. well, if it makes you if it makes you feel any better, I'm actually working on a, a, what I was doing before I came on. Uh, probably the last video essay I'll be doing for the year. And it's the longest one I've been doing, but it's on the uh, world of kayfabe, which is a code that wrestlers use uh, where you never break kayfabe, meaning uh, you don't, you don't lie and and let people in on what's going on. (laughs) Has been probably for the last almost make an emotional connection with people uh so it's not really reporting facts can you right. am i still here yeah, yeah you are you kind of you kind of fade you kind am of go, okay. you are you are sorry about okay that. so i think that you definitely sorry brought up a great point. no it's all good and no i, I look this thank is you what for happens. coming on yeah yeah this yeah. is what happens it's all good and and for us it's like i said it's just really nice to make connections with people that i feel like are on our team there or you go. share our share our mission if you will well we would have been great very happy chatting with you guys anyway but the fact pascal that you're down here and in, in our neck yeah. of the woods that, that you should great. definitely know about us see now yeah. i think we're, we need better i mean like i thought we were fairly like people like in the more lefter circles down here knew who well, we were. I now mean, you know. Now, yeah. Now, and we just keep fucking. And we, keep I building. occasionally am down there at the um, the caravan for Cuba. I've okay. been down to that a few times. Yeah. Um, are you, do you know Pete Seidman? No, I don't. Okay. Yeah. Th- there's this group down there that helped me when I did this event when um, Julian Assange's father and brother were in town and I coordinated like a panel discussion event. And I was working with some of the guys that also coordinate the caravan, the Cuba caravan. 
So okay. I ended up doing that as well. So I'm surprised I haven't run into you in those circles. Oh, that'll change now. Well, COVID, yeah. you know, COVID kind of slowed things down. So that's true. Yeah, that's for sure. true. But we're, well, we'll, let's keep in touch via email and we'll, we'll try to see if we can work something out. All right. Thank you so much, Pascal. Pascal. It was so nice to meet you. You're very friendly. You are thank not you. grumpy and you're very friendly. Pascal Robert, Jason Miles of This Is Revolution Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Guys, check it out. We will definitely be in touch again soon. Thank okay. you, guys. Bye-bye. And that is how smart people talk. You know, the reality is, is that when I started the, when I came up with the idea of doing a podcast, it really was to create a library, um, an information sort of like a library. So that's why I like to cover different topics. Um, we need to schedule Scott Lively. I don't, he hasn't sent me a book yet, but will you just please just schedule him to come on? I don't have his contact information. I have, all right. I will forward it yet again to you. Sure. But so we try to cover a variety of different topics, everything, environment, criminal justice, economic issues, like just to create, I feel like, not like it's a time capsule, but I feel like I'm sort of documenting where we are in where things stand and creating this library of information. I feel like it's a contribution in, in that way. That's why we do it. So I, we don't do it for the silly drama. I do think we have to talk about one last topic before we go, because Wait, I think before it's you do that, are you going to talk about what I think you're going to talk about? What, what do you Even mean? though I don't want to. All right. Do you not want? No, no. I'll All step right. away for a second. Totally fine. You're going to step away. Well, I kind of want. Yeah. I mean, I really don't want to cover this personally. Like I don't want to be affiliated, but if you want to talk about it, talk about it. Whatever. I'm serious. Talk about it. Well, if you're going to step away, but why does it matter? Sometimes you step away, and I'm stuck here sitting here and talking. Not really. I yes, can't believe, and you can pontificate. No, I think that this is an important issue, and I think that you know we okay. would be amiss to you know not address this because it is somewhat relevant to what's going on. Okay, and but I, here's I, the thing: not, since I really don't know what it is, wouldn't it be a good pontificating? And if so, then not necessarily. Okay. I forget it. I'm not going to do it. No, go do it. You want to talk about it, talk about it. But I don't even know what it is other than you sent me a cover. So other than that, I don't know what it is. Okay. That's why I don't want to talk about it because I don't know. And so if you're going to do it, do it. Okay. So here's the deal, guys. I don't have an issue, neither does Jen, with AOC. I think she brings a lot of positives to the table, particularly with what goes on with local politics. But I really think there is something that needs to be said regarding the perception that she has amongst a lot of politicos, which is... She was sent to Capitol Hill to basically be a force for the progressive movement and in her haste has basically become the – again, I'm not going to say that she's the new Nancy Pelosi because that's not fair. She's not old enough yet, but it's, it no, seems but like she's, she's not working engulfed in, that way. in corporate money. If she was engulfed in that's corporate true. money, then that would be something to discuss. But I think it's fair to say that Alex has real, – Alex really enjoys the spotlight. And, and let me, let me say that I just specifically told him, I really don't want to talk about this because I feel like it's giving like attention to something that I don't think is important and I think is stupid. And now we're just creating more of it. No, but I, I will say this, since you're making me look at that, she looks friggin' amazing. No, she looks great. I'm not so if I'm going to have to sit here and look but, at that, she looks awesome. But again, you know, I was in New York city the other day during the labor rally that Chris Smalls was organizing and I didn't see her there. I saw some elected officials there, which was great, including her good friend, Tiffany Caban, who is on the, I think she's in the state legislature. If I'm, if I remember correctly, what her position is, uh, but but I re I get the impression at a time when we are really a country that needs to be having the type of leadership from somebody like Alex that is not 
doing things like GQ when people are so desperate for something right now. I I can see where this is not going to go over well. Yeah, she looks great. I'm sure the things that she talked okay, about. Okay, and this is not to be compared in any way as to the Paris Hilton commercial that we no, covered in terms all. of complete out of touchness. No, okay, again, like there is a spectrum. More, this is a this is about constructively criticizing her from the standpoint that it's it's not a bad thing if she's going to do things like this as long as she's balancing it out with doing some really important types of moves on the Hill regarding legislation, regarding withholding votes. And is she not? She is not doing that. Okay, so here's my thoughts on her. And I've never met her. I'm sure she's nice. I'd probably say she's lovely. But but regardless, she's done some things I like, some things I don't like, whatever. That's neither here nor there. Um, I see her as, and as somebody who's old enough to be her mother, let me preface this with that. Like, I see her as somebody like that I would look at almost like maternally. And I see it as a huge missed opportunity. Like, because when she first was running, she had the opportunity in my mind to be like Katniss Everdeen. You know, like she had an opportunity to really take this to a whole other level and then just sort of fell short, kind of like Bernie did. And I think that that's just basically the blue wall that everybody runs up against at the time you get to Congress. Um, And that that just seems to happen. But I do think that this is, and I've always said this about her, I think there's a certain um, maturity issue and wisdom issue that comes. And, you know, she got into this, she was 28 years old. And I just think that there's definitely a lack of maturity and the spotlight is very enticing. And that's what I say about that. But I don't have any real harsh... I'm sure she's nice. Like, I don't, I I can't send people that try to, we shouldn't be putting people on pedestals and we shouldn't be spending all our time tearing people down from pedestals. We've got other things to be doing. And I think if people didn't hold her out as some sort of icon, then it wouldn't be able to take up so much of our news cycle to sit here and talk about it. And now we've talked about it, which is why I didn't want to. And again, I respect that, but I also think it's important because these types of things just keep popping up and they always pop up at the most inopportune time. They're not popping up at a time where I see her out there actively campaigning on behalf of non-corporate candidates that really need the help. No, she that, she hasn't that. taken a stand. And I think that that is vitally important right now. I think that being able to take a stand at a time where it's absolutely necessary is important. I mean, let's be honest. She is in a very protected district. I mean, she's not going to lose her seat. Right. If anybody had the political, you know, scope range to be able to take a stand, it's her. Like in terms of her safety. So I do wonder what her long-term goal is. I think a lot of people do. And the fact that part of the GQ article is about her running for president. And it's like, she's been in Congress for, this is her third term, I think. Yeah, it was 18 was her first. 18, 20, 22. Yeah, I mean, again, it's but when but when you're so desperate for leadership, because there just doesn't seem to be much these days, I can certainly it. understand why there is this sort of gravitation uh towards that. I mean, to me, I think that really speaks to you know, the issue here. I just don't like smack talking her for ge- what are generally we're not smack talking. No, we're her. not, but I'm just saying, like, I don't like to have like I don't like that concept because it's really the pop culture stuff, like the Met Gala stuff and all that, all of it is just such a distraction and I don't like to spend the time on it. So we should move on to important things. Jason Miles is still here. He would like to comment on this and we'd love to have his opinion. So let's come back. 
Jason, this okay. is a first. Okay. So this is better, right? Oh, I, yeah. Let's say sorry. I had to grab my Ethernet. I knew that was something wrong, so I had to grab my Ethernet cable. Oh so, my god, so much better. Oh, I'm so um, glad you're back. So again, thank you for for having uh, Pascal and I, and and definitely not trying to take away from Pascal's time by coming no, on. No, he was here it. early. He had he had his own. He was on. <laughs> you're good. But but uh, we did a live show in New York with the guys from Sublation Media and a friend of mine who is, you know, a very outspoken uh, professor of law. He wrote some amazing books on Israel-Palestine. A man named Norm Finkelstein was one of the oh, speakers. Oh, yeah. He's been a guest. Yeah. Norm's a great dude. Yeah. <laughs> He's a wild card. Uh, Norm, you know, made a statement, a very Norm-esque statement, uh, starting stuff off in New York, saying that he felt that AOC was was a wannabe Pelosi. And there's something to be said, you know, about elite capture of politicians when you become part of the system. Um, there's also something to be said about AOC's rise to uh, political stardom. I think we forget our memories are extremely short. When have we ever had a celebrity congressperson? It's kind of well to do, like a celebrity one. There yeah. wasn't a documentary made on Shirley Chisholm while she was like running for right. president in 72. That's, that's after the fact. So I think we have to look at AOC kind of in this, in this, in, in this current milieu. She is the first that I can think of social media political figure. People want to say Donald Trump, but Donald Trump's been in the zeitgeist since the early 80s via TV, board games, clothing companies. He's been in the the pop culture zeitgeist as long as I've been alive. AOC really is kind of a product of social media, and which is fascinating because when you think about it, she only got 10,000 votes to win. That's it. That's amazing. So when you think about when people talk about her, the power that she has, there's like over a million people in that district, but only a small amount voted. That was the secret. So when you guys, I agree with you wholeheartedly when you say that she's not going to lose this district anytime soon. Um, But what happens when the first social media congressperson uh, rises to, I don't want to say power, but rises to office in a time where people feel very defeated because she comes up on the heels of the first defeat of Bernie Sanders, where a lot of people are looking for a hero. Yeah. And she is a millennial hero for the masses. She's got the great social media presence with the awesome videos and she got all the $5 donations from everywhere but where she was from, right? Um, and it was fascinating to watch. And there was a lot of hope projected onto that character. But kind of looking at how power works, a lot of the left was divorced from that. Donald Trump creates the squad in an insult. <laughs> but why do we embrace that? When we think of like progressive members of Congress, no one ever throws Katie Porter in there. I believe she was. And she's the the best. Yeah, we talked about that, right? Like she's the best. So so I I think what what happened with with AOC is kind of she's kind of the perfect candidate for this moment. She's great on camera. 
She's great when there's a congressional hearing and nothing really happens. She knows all the quote unquote left rhetoric to spew. Um, photographs well. She does. So I know people get mad at her, but it's like, well, what did you, what did you want one congressperson to do? Yeah. You know, number one, and I'm not saying this to like absolve her of anything. It's just, there comes this time where we kind of have to reevaluate how we look at power. And there's one theme that Pascal and I have on our show, and it's the 50-year counter-revolution. So if you think about from the moment Nixon gets in the office and the Powell memo comes out, there's this plan to destroy New Deal and, and Great Society legislation. And we're seeing it right now. This war over Roe didn't happen because of Brett Kavanaugh. Right. The Federalist okay. Society has been around a lot longer. So when you think about these levers of power and kind of how divorced we are from understanding how they work, we get attached to personalities. We get attached to Mitch McConnell and AOC. You know, these are just personalities when you think about it. You know, people have a certain level of power and movements have a certain level of power. But again, the detachment comes from, and, and I wouldn't say we're all guilty of this, but sometimes we all fall prey to this, thinking that action is with the keyboard. I tweet, therefore I am. <laughs> and so much frustration gets let out in our fire tweets and quote unquote, holding people accountable. Yeah. We cannot hold anyone accountable through our vitriol, through a keyboard, right? It takes real movements built with real people yeah. to hold anybody accountable for anything. And as long as there's not real people and more fish shaking at the man, it's going to be really hard for any real changes to come because I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. We had a very progressive district attorney named Chase Boudin. I got to meet him um, when I was working with Shahid Buttar. Uh, Chase is a cool dude. Hella like Chesa. Loved what he was trying to do. But you can't do that without an entire left administration. You, he's trying to redefine the way we look at criminal justice. Yeah. And it's hard to do when the sheriff ain't on your team, the mayor ain't on your team. You got maybe one or two people in city council that's kind of on your team. This is what we need to start looking at. When you look at how the right infiltrates from community organizations, churches, Pop Warner football leagues, school boards, even where I'm from in the Bay Area, we had a school board recall where quote unquote progressive people were kicked off the school board. So when you think about how this takeover by the right is a, is a 50 year process, it means they had to take some L's and it was incremental, which is kind of a bad word, right? But that's how it happened. That's how it happened. But yeah. and, and look at, again, and look at where we are with things like Roe. Look at where we are with like, don't say gay, even some of these CRT bills. We have to start thinking about power and how we're going to amass it. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, and that's, I think where we kind of lose sight because it's extremely easy and all of us do it. There's not one person that's, that's, I never 
fall prey to gossip. Like, right. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the way that we've been receiving our information for, you know, 50 years has been emotional gossip to the point now where newsmen, quote unquote, especially when we talk about like mainstream news, it's just people pontificating on, you know, on partisan lines. Yeah. I'm on MSNBC. I'm, I'm Joe Biden did this wonderful thing. He's FDR 2.0. I'm on Fox <laughs> News. Joe, how dare Democratic Joe Biden do this? He's so left. Thing. You know, that's not how it was read years ago. This is, a, this is what the president said. This is what it is. You made your decision from there. Now people are making their, your decision for you. And there's an emotional attachment you have to that decision. So watching the news, you might as well be watching pro wrestling or a reality show at this point. And that's how politics is playing out, almost like uh, a, a political burlesque, if you will. And divorcing ourselves from that is extremely hard. And then also understanding, you know, how this keeps power in place, because we're never really talking about power um, with, with this. It's just the outrage of a dress. Her dress said tax the rich. <clears throat> I'm so upset at that. It's like, that's, that's what you're mad at? Like, Really? Well, that's what privileged people have the time to be mad about. And and that to me is one of those things that when that's the kind of stuff somebody's complaining about, mm-hmm. you, you, you've got a really good life. You should be appreciative for your good life. If that's the kind of thing that you think is a real problem, like why, who cares about the Met Gala anyway? Like the whole thing is stupid. So the fact that she's wearing a stupid dress to a stupid, like, it's just all elitist. And again, like what difference does it make? That's the celebrity obsessed culture that we live in that has been yeah. propagated for decades and yeah. decades and decades. And now it's infiltrated its way into the political arena over the past several years. And people have generally looked at politicians in a certain way, in a certain level of awe, which was not good. I mm-hmm. think um, Clinton started, well, Reagan started it. Obama took it to another level. Well, Clinton and, took it to the other level. Yeah, then, Obama, really then Obama sort of was like the final nail in that neoliberal coffin. Yeah. I mean, you can't even say anything negative about Obama because there's, there's so I much, can. he's so beloved, if you will. Uh, I'm not, I'm not beloving him and I begrudgingly, de- you know what? I, thank you. Ver- that, I have anger about Obama. Thank you very much. T J T drum shop. Uh, that's a really cool name. That is uh, cool. And thank you for the support. Yeah. I was happy Thanks, to guys. do it. Yeah. I'm not a fan of, uh, Obama. I have a lot. That was to me is like the biggest disappointment in my, seriously, in my adult lifetime in terms of any hope for electoral politics, that was a really big disappointment. for well, me. It's, it's disappointing because a lot of people, and I, and I actually had said this in, in New York and, and I have mentioned Obama's name and everybody started like booing or whatever. And then, you know, I'm not a fan, but there's a reality that a lot of us didn't know. Yeah. No, not everybody was reading Adolf Reed's class notes in 1999 about his prediction on Obama, right? If that yeah. was the case, Adolf Reed would have had a bestseller. The, the, the point is Obama and Clinton before him, or I'm sorry, Bush before him and Clinton before him, these are all personality presidents. Even yes. Reagan, you know, Reagan is, oh, a, is a, totally. a personality. When you watch Reagan's debate, and I believe it was 1984, where he fumbles so much, he literally admits to the Iran-Contra. Remember, he won every district that year. Yep. 
over Walter Mondale because Walter Mondale didn't have the personality. Like, I think he won like a sliver in Minnesota. He won like, yeah, I think he lost even his own district. Yeah. And then you think of like, you know, after Reagan, you get Bush, which is an extension. By the time you get Clinton, a lot of people feel relieved because the, the bad guys are gone. And also the wall fell. And we, we kind of always look at the world through our American lens. We don't look at it globally and, and remember that this is where Fukuyama says, this is the end of history. Also financially, through the, through the deregulation, a lot of us got credit. You're 51, Jen. That means that you probably got a credit card real easy around that time. You know, this is the time where kids were walking on college campuses. Hey, sign up, get a free T-shirt, get this credit card at the same time. Oh, yeah. I ended up I ended up getting hip to that really young, though, because I ended up getting like in trouble and then having to get like bailed out by my now husband. And and that was the last time that ever happened. So that was like 30 years ago. But that Um, was the thing, right? That 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 level of prosperity. Clinton rides on that. Um, You know, we can say we want to say about the Bush Gore election, but. 9-11 9-11 definitely changes a lot of things, but Bush is a personality. You can't get to Trump without the folly of Bush, because I think a lot of people forget how outraged Americans were in 2004 when he won again after the invasion uh, in, in Iraq. But he wins again. You get Obama, who's supposed to be the smart guy. Everybody just wanted a smart guy. Remember that? Oh, finally, the adults in the room. Yes. And hope and change. But unlike a lot of his predecessors, he was never a governor. This is a guy that was a state senator for like one term. But people felt comfortable that he could run the military. He never even had the ability to call the National Guard. But everybody felt that he had the ability to run the country. And when you fast forward to Donald Trump, he literally walks right out of central casting into the White House. And, it, and again, I look at that as, how does that happen? How do I, I look back in 2022 that Joe Biden is president? You know, everyone talks about the 94 crime bill, but 94 was a different time. And a lot of people weren't, you know, there was a small minority of people that were pushing back on the 94 crime bill. You know, movies like Boys in the Hood, uh, menace to society. These are all commercials for the 94 crime bill. You know, we, me and Pascal were talking the other day. We were like, remember when public enemy had that song? 911 is a joke because the police wouldn't show up. Like, I think people forget how all this stuff happens and also how we take in information. It's really, really important. Um, because the arguments and the discussions that we have, sadly, are never really about the important stuff like power. It did then devolves into drama. We elect personalities because they say what we like, even though we know they're not going to do what they say. Yeah. You know, why is that? Well, I mean, this is something I've noticed just from campaigning and meeting people on campaign trails is the bottom line is people have to like you. They have to like the way you make them feel. And if somebody likes the way you make them feel, your policies really don't matter. They don't. Now, someone might who, if they don't know you, they'll look at your policies and vote against you, whatever. But that same person, once they meet you, they would vote for you if they liked you and they felt comfortable with you. And I noticed that all the time. People like who they like 
It's well, it really is that simple. Well, let me ask you guys this question. And again, I'm not asking it because I know the answer. I'm literally right. asking the question because yeah. this is this is interesting to me. And I'm sorry if I'm taking us too much of your time. No, no. it's great. Um, what then becomes the future of politics if it's dominated then by or infiltrated by a new group of influencers? And again, I look at AOC for better or for worse as an influencer politician. So if, if, if I believe what you say that people just want to, you know, they want to like you, influencers seem to be likable people. That's why they're making all the money and they yeah. get to advertise all these products. <laughs> Absolutely. So what then does our political landscape look like when more influencers get to infiltrate? Well, I mean, our goal here is to get as many non-corporate people that want to answer to their constituents, be they conservative or liberal constituents. I believe that that people should be represented by who their person is. Um, our goal is to just get the money and the corporatism out as much as possible and fight against that with this idea that the closest we'll ever get to having a functioning republic are having people that are not bought and paid for in our legislative branch. So I feel like there's a lot of weight. Like we also very think, you know, think the outside strategy is totally important. Like it's all important. Like all the different things that are going on are important. But when you talk about electoral politics, the goal is to chip away at the corporatism by getting more and more non-corporate people in. And we are. It's just a slow trickle. And there hasn't yet been that one person that who we were hoping would be like Nina Turner person that would get in there and really have the balls to rally that group of people so that they do feel bold enough to take a stand against, let's say, people like Nancy Pelosi or the, you know, the establishment people. So our goal from an electoral standpoint is to chip away at the corporate people and get actual representatives in there. Um, ideally, somebody that has like some significant backbone. But um, that's just on the electoral side. I mean, I, I feel like this has to be, be, you know, like that's why labor is so important. I feel like yeah. that is the, that's the common Beautiful. denominator. It is, it is. And I just, our goal, I would love for the Democratic Party to be a labor party. Like that would, then if you're stuck with two parties, at least one of them would be a labor party. We don't even have that. So when people talk about third parties, I'm sitting here thinking, um, we don't even have two. Um, we have a corporate party and I've often referred it as WWF. And to me, it's very much just theater. It has nothing to do with anything. It's ridiculous. Like games are going on and they're just siphoning the money. So to your to your point about uh, corporate uh, candidate, and again, I'm just throwing out questions. Yeah. Um, what then happens when the non-corporate Mr. Smith goes to Washington-esque candidate gets into office and then they do get uh, co-opted, if you will, by either party mm -hmm. or by uh, some sort of... Uh, corporate, I don't want to say corporate money, but like, let's say uh, there's a great job on a board, you know, maybe you're not going to win your district in, in the next election and uh, you get offered a great job on a, a Raytheon's board. Yeah. Um, and you, and you have a certain amount of insight and pull with other people now. Like, how do you, how do you keep your person 
from being co-opted by the powers of, of capital? You can't. You can't, but that's the only system that we have right now. And you you hope for more Katie Porters. You fight for more Katie Porters. You you do what you can. It's like, this is what we have. This is the menu. So I understand that people don't like electoral politics, but yet that's what's dictating a lot of stuff that's going on. So we still mm-hmm. have to somehow do the best we can with it. And one of the things that I think, and I always said this when I was running is, yeah, you, they, we will platform any non-corporate candidate because that's sort of our baseline. But to me, an ideal candidate is also someone who's not in it for a career, someone who isn't in it because they're worried about not getting reelected. So, and those people are hard to come by. I'm not going to, I mean, like that is not a common thing, but if you can get enough people in there that can at least get some campaign finance reform that can at least start to get some of the get some laws in action or at least be some barrier to the complete corporatism like we could start chipping away because otherwise then i don't know what else to do electorally and and we're very obviously we're big proponents of locally you weren't on yet but our first guest is someone who's running for school board here in broward county so like we're very active in terms of nonpartisan races at the local level um, but at the national level, all we can do here is, you know, try to get in non-corporate Democrats. Yeah, that's really the best shot that we've got right now. But like here. I said, uh, as long as we continue to have these conversations centered around the core issues of our time, and most of that is found in labor, um, there's a reason why there's this constant pushback and suggestions that there are people that are in labor that, oh, you shouldn't uh work with them. They're, you know, they, they may have voted for Trump, though they might be a proud boy. It's like, you know, at oh some point you have to realize that these are gatekeepers. These are people who don't want the working class to unite, even though there are significant differences in many ways, culturally, ethically. Right. I don't want to necessarily hang out with those people. Like, I don't necessarily want to, you know, invite them over. I yeah, probably I think they're that everybody kids. who works in a union hall are guys that are constantly hanging out with each other. Uh, uh, well, I'm sure there may be some elements of that. Um, they may like partying together from time to time, but not everybody's going to get along. But if you get along to get along regarding policy right. that we desperately need, then that's all that matters. And that is a very powerful. Do you have any suggestions on what we should do electorally? I have ideas and thoughts. I I don't necessarily have this as my 10 point plan to get to socialism tomorrow. Um, I I do think a politician alone is kind of right for co-optation. I do think there is a love affair with the right leadership. And a divorce from the idea that leadership doesn't matter as much as the people that can sway leaders. So when people put LBJ on a bit of a pedestal, it's yeah. almost to assume that LBJ was a champion for civil rights. Inherently, yeah. you know, this there was a lot of things happening um, at that moment that pushed for those that legislation to to come down. Um, and there's nothing going on right now that's that powerful enough. One, one thing that I, that does give me hope, there's an organization called the Debt Collective. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, w- wonderful people that I got to talk to a, f- a few times have been on the show. And what's fascinating is that they were getting things done when Betsy DeVos was in office. Um, so it didn't really matter to them 
the the impediment like oh maybe this one person might make it slightly easier for us to get uh money back for these for-profit schools but ultimately um it's going to be all of us together and the 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 little things that they've done i kind of uh, astra taylor had a statement she made the other day like you know let's be happy about this 10 grand that's cool but the fight is no is nowhere near over um but that gets done with serious barriers and it's not like they were campaigning for any um political officials their campaign was to end student debt and it didn't matter who was in office correct yeah so how do we get how do we mobilize and and i got to talk to mike davis he's very ill right now sadly the author of city of ports but he said the, the biggest mistake of the Bernie Sanders campaign, and, and Adolf Reed has, has echoed the sentiment as well, is that there was no movement that really came off of all that excitement. Nothing captured yeah. that. Great. So what happens when you have these people like the AOCs of the world that amass a large following, but there's part of its hate watching <laughs> and following part of its people that are just, for the most part, apolitical. Yeah. And they just want to, you know, comment to comment. Um, it doesn't move the political needle and it's not helping us build any sort of real movement to to be a counter hegemon to both parties. And and my thing is, what are we doing to be a true counter to both parties so we don't have to sit and wait and hope that the right person gets along? Because um, the first election I voted for, I think it was 96 and I wrote an African Bambada's name, right? A flippant punk kid from the Bay. But that's to, almost to an extent still how I look at the political landscape. Mm-hmm. You know, I voted for Gloria Lariva for what it's worth for the last election. Um, but movement building from these campaigns can be something, but sadly it's almost like, the campaign builds up some momentum and steam. And then if it doesn't, if it's not a success, then everything peters out. And again, I think there's a lot we have to learn from the right and their massive successes because there's been massive failures and massive losses, but they just kept mobilizing and mobilizing. Sustained. Yeah, he, he needs to eat. So we're going to have to wrap. But I want to say this. What we did with our campaign from the get-go is it started as a service-based campaign. That was the whole point. And when it ended, we kept that and turned it into this to keep sort of the movement going. And I think that that's incredibly important. It's Mm -hmm. something that, and I'm trying to get more time, we're working on this book, but one of the things is how to create a service-based campaign that serves win or lose. Because that whole concept of keeping the momentum going and building up your community network and being mm-hmm. you know, to help people. Also fielding the right people it's to important. run for office. There's yeah. too many people, especially in wealthier areas like San Francisco, San Jose, that the people who want to run are people who just want to benefit from the mass wealth that's all over the place. This isn't about, well, how can I make sure that, you know, I mean, there's something to be said for... The- big union leaders down here the other day that citywide you could have universal health care. Not a lot of people know that. You know, these are the types of issues that if people were really focused on, you get the right people in there. You can get those types of things done and it doesn't matter who's in Washington. You don't have enough teachers running for office. You don't have enough nurses running for office. You don't have enough writers running for office. Again, there's a lot of different professions that are out there that should not just be based on 
lawyers and bankers, which unfortunately <laughs> constitutes an What's overwhelming, that they constitute a significant majority of the people who end up on Capitol Hill. And there's not enough diversity in thought, in philosophy. Because those people anything. can't afford to run. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. the thing. You have to be able to give up your job basically, and make that a full-time job. How many yeah. people are privileged enough to be able to do that and have the money to run a campaign? And You, you can't. Or having the, the whole type system of, is set up so or, regular people can't Or having the type of job where you have the type of flexibility in order to yeah. be able to do that, and that is just seldom seen. And so Most people are working three jobs to just try to get by yeah. and live. They don't have time to care about politics, let alone run for office. So I think whoever ultimately will come about that can lead a national campaign is going to have to do it from from a perspective of you know service to the community and just make it on a macro level if you're going to do that then you might have something if you want to have things like a community garden composting bee colonies um horticulture the types of things that can really teach people how to sustain themselves which is something lord knows we need more than ever we, now we talk a lot about that. you know those are the things that can be really uh, that, that can really be built out. And I agree. It definitely was a miss on Bernie's part to not take the movement and start to build it out. Maybe he thought that that's what our revolution was going to do. Maybe that's what he thought the justice Dems were going to do. But as it always turns out, if it's not rooted in grassroots efforts, especially if your only focus is on federal races, it will inevitably that's, be co-opted yeah. by the machine. That's what will happen. That's what happened to them. That's what will happen to any organization like run for something that's doing the same thing. They'll always get co-opted. If your movement is not based on policy, like the New York Health Act, mm -hmm. it'll get co-opted. How far are you from Cabo? Uh, driving, I think it's like 20 hours. Oh, my God. That's so far. Yeah, I Mexico's pretty big. No, 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 Mexico's really big. This is bigger than California. Though, but you live in the same state as I live in the same state, but it's okay, bigger than California. So you're in Baja, oh, okay. you're in Baja, uh, Mexico. Okay, fine. Okay. okay, I didn't realize that the state was that, but no, I'm not like that obtuse where I think all of Mexico is the same. But I no, thought I that I didn't no, realize it's, that big. It's, it's big as hell and it's hard to get around. So. But do you get do you have really good do you have good fish tacos where you are? I am actually going to hang up this call with you guys and I'm going to go downtown about two miles and i am going to have a very good very affordable fish taco oh my god and it's good fish tacos right? oh my god that's the thing you had to bring up food i did have to bring up food all right i'm gonna get him fed but like if i'm ever out in that area again oh get come get lobster tacos. ben burgess was here he stayed with me a few days oh, we really? went and got lobster oh, i see and that's yeah. the thing like i like those guys too i've been you know i've been watching those guys for you know, years I'm, like yeah. that back in the michael brooks, mm -hmm. brooks days like for well, years we spoke to sam cedar multiple times i mean honestly if i if when i get when when i get to california again i have my passport i really I should have make, my passport. i really should make uh the the venture down to at least look. tijuana Ugh. and just well, I, look yeah. there's look there's beaches there too Yep. I'm about 40, I'm about 40 plus miles from the border. Okay. You're more than welcome. I'm talking to you on my, my terrace uh, overlooking the ocean. It's, you can walk to the beach from here. That's nice. 
Yeah. That's so nice. It, us yeah. us Americans are so narrow minded. We really don't understand how much better we could have it if we. No, just I do. Don't I tell do. anybody because I'm tired of my rent going up. So. I was ah. going to say, well, and that's how I feel about places like Costa Rica. Like I love Costa Rica, <laughs> and I love going, like even Asheville, going to the mountains in Asheville. Now I have to move further and further and further out because people start getting hip to things, and then there's just too many people. I want to basically live in a cabin in the woods, like in the, <laughs> cabin in the woods, um, and and not be like Bo lives a mile from his closest people, like. That could be me. Smart move. Um, there's just too many people, and I'm stuck in South Florida, so it's harsh. Well, we're not going just yet. Obviously, we have a lot of fighting to do down yeah. here to try to fix the situation. We'll see what happens electorally, as they say. Jason, it's been a real pleasure. Thank Let's you. do it again at some point soon. Mm-hmm. Hit me up whenever, right. guys. Peace. Thanks, Jason. Take care. Bye. Bye. Do you hear he used the word milieu? That's fancy. I don't know what that means. Exactly. And that is wherein I like those people. That's how, wherein I like the academic, uh, that, that kind of conversation. But he's not an elite. No, he just, he's just, he's just really smart. He's just bright. I don't know. And on that note, um, next Monday, we may be speaking with some activists, uh, labor activists from South Carolina. We'll see if that comes to pass activists from south carolina that uh we really appreciate you guys blue always a pleasure thanks for checking it checking it out we had a very small crowd tonight i don't know Um, what's something must be like maybe there's something else like on because normally wednesday nights isn't like a thing no probably not also i wanted to tell you have you looked at how many views the the robert burke but but that's because i put the val kilmer and the kurt russell hashtags in there and that blew it up Okay, so I was going to say, because the other one that we did of him is like 40-something, and then that one's close to 3,000. So 3,000? Yes. Um, so it's just, I'm like, I, I couldn't figure um, out what was the difference between them. It certainly wasn't the thumbnail. I'm a Huckleberry. That's just my game. I have to go watch that scene again. It was, you know, Tombstone was on the other day, but um, it's amazing it wasn't, how, it was already I'll after what, that Well, part. actually, Tombstone was on the plane when I was flying yesterday. And you know what I noticed is that Robert had one line in the whole movie. <laughs> one line. And it was, to, it was to Val Kilmer. And he said, I got you now, you son of a bitch. Well, you're a daisy if you do. Kaboom. That was it. Yeah. Well, he, or at least uh, that's what made it into the movie anyway. No, but Robert's had a great career and he's been in a lot of great. I, I love his presence. He's got a real, he, he's, a, he's a man's man. He's yeah. got, he's, he's really a fireman. Yeah. Jen, he's a fireman. Jen's got a little crush. I did. Well, he's a good man. I'm glad that he came on. And uh, yeah, Tombstone's a great movie. Great place to really jumpstart your career. No question about it. What do we have going on? We don't have anything lined up just yet, but we will change that soon. Um, we always, always do. something. There's always something brewing. Always something brewing. Smash the like button. Subscribe if you haven't already. You know the drill. Go to patreon.com forward slash generational change if you are so inclined. Yeah. Because Lord knows, you definitely want one of these bad Yes, things. you do. It, they're just Imagine silly. Parliamentarian. Parliamentarian. 2024. I mean, that is the most. They're just ridiculous. I don't know. And also, yeah, well, that would be more of my Wicked Gypsy business. I've been working on a lot of inventory. I'm well, making a lot of stuff. I mean, you know what? The truth of the matter is. They're just funny. It's if silly. You, if you do end up running again, you could hand those out just as like a joke. And oh, they're, I just think they're happen. hilarious. Yeah. Well, they are funny. And of course, if you are not inclined to become a Patreon, that's okay. You also can go to Cash App, in which case, this damn thing, get off my screen, please. Thank you. Get out, get out, get out of here. Good. Your your haste makes waste. So, go to 
if you are so inclined. If you'd like to drop us a little bit of cashola, which is always welcome. It's always welcome, guys, but you know. Make sure that you go to Cash App. We're more about spreading the word. Gen Change. Yes, it's always nice when people make a nice little donation. And it goes to our grassroots efforts and, and stuff. And we, we just made and we just made a new friend, Pascal Robert, who oh, happens to be down here. Love that. I cannot I, I can't believe I didn't know he was down here. Like I've seen him on so many different shows. Um they also have had on, like they've also had Margaret on. Like I've seen a lot of, you know, like there's been a lot of we're like one degree separated. Man is coming together. No, I just think that we're like we've been one degree removed. Like, and a lot of our guests have been their guests. Like it's just removed. And I just think you know we're small, and a lot of people don't know of us. And I'm glad now that they do. And you all know about us, so hit the like button, make share. a comment, share, do Tell it all. People make people understand how important our show is. Our show's Please. so important. It is <laughs> vitally important. We'll see you Monday. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.